Dan Padover, Pride of New Jersey and General Manager of the Atlanta Dream is here to join us. Locked on Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked on Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Well, hi there and happy Thursday, everybody. I am your host, Howard Magdal, welcoming you to Locked on Women's Basketball. I want to thank you for making us your first listen every day, six days a week, Monday through Friday, all things past, present, and future, Saturday, the WNBA Draft Show. And so many of you are showing up, over 100,000 listeners in April alone. Spoiler alert, we're on track to break that in May. So it's been wonderful to be able to see the way all of you are coming together. And of course, it is not just me hosting. It is the entire staff over at thenexthoops.com doing the work over 100 reported pieces every month. Make sure you're supporting. Subscribe if you can. In honor of the 27th WNBA season, we are now 27% off our usual price. All your subscriber revenue goes to writers, editors, podcasters, photographers doing this important work. Uh, We have uh, the great Gabriella Lewis down in Atlanta, Hunter Cruz as well as down there doing work on what is a fascinating team that Dan Padover has put together. Dan, I'm delighted to have you join me, even more so now that I know that you have New Jersey roots. Why do you think it is that so many great basketball minds come from New Jersey? Um, you know, I think you probably don't know because we all try to hide it a little bit, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, that South Jersey, Philly area, it's just got such a rich uh, tradition of hoops that a lot of people grow up around the game and a lot of passionate fans that can get you started at an early age. It, it's fascinating. And, you know, Gino and Cheryl and Muffet, I mean, it just, you know, Dawn, it just goes on and on and on. It's amazing to see. But um, yes, we, we will be talking here in segment one a little bit about the origin story of how you arrived here in Atlanta. Uh, segment two, we're going to be talking a lot and getting a little nerdy about some of the players present and some of the newest players, especially on this Atlanta Dream Team, which I think is just utterly fascinating. But when we talk about sort of how you got here. All right. So there's this Jersey basketball traditionally you talk about. You went to University of Connecticut. Uh, I, they have a women's basketball team, I think, that has some renown. But was there a certain point where you realized to get beyond just this is something you love, you care about, uh, that, well, this is something that you can make a profession for yourself? Yeah. You know, my um, my senior year at the University of Connecticut, I helped out around the video room um, a, a good amount and just cutting up film, doing a lot of little things. And I started seeing around the teams and that was when people were starting to get some notoriety, like Spolster was coming up as a head coach, uh, Mike Brown. Um, so it was starting to be that you didn't necessarily have to be a former player to try and make a profession out of this. And that a lot of the non-former players were coming up through the video room. So I would say, my senior year of college, I started to get the idea that there actually may be a career path through this, albeit I knew it was going to be an extremely difficult one. Um, 
but I thought that there may be a chance. Um, and my first real big break was um, the first year out of college. Um, I, I was afforded a really what it was, was a year long internship uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers. And the only reason I got it quite frankly is because it was unpaid and they needed somebody who was local and I could live at home and commute every day. Um, and, you know, at 22, I was sitting in a film room with Doug Collins, Brian James, Aaron McKee, Michael Curry, and ironically or not, the fourth assistant on that team was Quinn Snyder, who's now the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks mm-hmm. um, and has, you know, shot me a text from time to time, still keeps in touch, great guy. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a very small world, and it's really true that, like, you know, depending on the twist or turn you take, you can go down a different path. It is fascinating. So you go from working uh, with Thaddeus Young to working for C. Vivian Stringer over at Rutgers as well and getting yeah. to do that work. And so interesting to me, you know, it's, it's a line in the bio, right? You're at Rutgers, you're bringing analytics into that realm. You know, Vivian, obviously, as an old school coach, you know, what was that push and pull like at that time? It was like, I think no one was more well received about video and analytics than Vivian. Like she wanted the more information, the better. And it probably wasn't good for her because it probably just meant she got even less sleep. Um, But I mean, really this was when synergy was just starting to come of age in, in women's basketball and, you know, sports tech was obviously prominent, but we were really just showing her like, nowhere near the advanced level stats that, you know, a lot of teams have today, but she ate it up and and wanted more, more, more. And I think um, it was really neat for me because um, I was a, you know, low person on the totem pole video coordinator. And if she had the time, she would have sat with me for like four hours and got through everything. Like she loved it. And I think that really probably, showed me that like coaches really enjoy this stuff um, and it has value. The people with staying power in this industry, and I would argue in any industry, are the ones who continue to evolve with the time. So that doesn't surprise me in the least. So you obviously, you know, you have the time with the Sixers, you have the time uh, with Vivian at Rutgers as well. Was women's basketball an area of focus by that point? Or was there still these kind of dual paths in your mind? I'm just wondering sort of when that became the primary thing. Yeah, you know, I think um, having gone to UConn, I think I was lucky that I always viewed basketball as basketball. Um, so for me, it, it honestly wasn't um, a, you know, let me go do men's or women's. I was just dying to be in hoops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I loved I love both games. Um, I think what I started to realize was the women's basketball community started to really feel like a family to me. Um, And I think I started to have um, just a a bigger connection there and and wanting to um, develop my network there. really enjoyed a lot of the people I worked with and had a lot of fun. And not that I wouldn't have had fun on the men's side, but I felt like I was starting to see a really good thing and why, why mess it up. And obviously you've had a lot of success and, and worked with the New York Liberty, 
with the Las Vegas Aces. To be here in Atlanta, though, and, and again, to, to get that five-year contract extension at the end of last year, it's not just a question of women's basketball, right? It's a question of stability in women's basketball, which is even harder to come by. I, is that the moment where you kind of feel like, all right, you know, this is established. I'm here to stay. Or does it come before that? You know, I'm just wondering for just in an emotional perspective. Yeah, I think as far as like uh, the WNBA, um, I've felt that I was here to stay probably the past like three, three years or so, three or four years. Um, uh, the five-year contract, more than anything, what that represents, I think is um, a commitment to me and Tanisha um, to build this team out with with a long view in mind and trying not to make any short-sighted decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really wasn't an arrival moment or anything. Like I'm, I'm just as anxious today as I was a year ago or two years ago and always trying to find a way to make our team get better. If anything, um, because of that commitment, you feel an even bigger obligation to succeed here. So if anything, I probably put a little bit more pressure on myself, um, but um, not like no big, no big change, really. Yeah, no, I, I could see that. But it, it's and again, we're going to get more into it in segment two. But, you know, the build is long term, obviously. You know, you can see that in the type of people who are brought in on the roster itself. But even just like bringing in somebody like Kia Vaughn. To be able, who I know, obviously, you know, you were able to bring in as a player as well earlier uh, in your career and in her career, but somebody to help with the experience. Just can you take me through sort of why Kia specifically and what you see as like her primary role here with you guys? Yeah. So as you mentioned, we obviously brought Kia in as a player last year, um, and I think what Kia represents is really the mentality that you know, we'd love to exemplify to a lot of our younger players. Um, Kiev wasn't a star, like, and and she'll be the first person to tell you that, but Kia played her role to a T in every single organization she was on every year through every game. Um, And that level of consistency that she was as a player and even more importantly, as a person um, is something that we can all learn from, not just the players, but I can learn from that. Our staff can learn from that. Um, so we wanted to develop like a, a talent pipeline to continue to bring former players uh, into our organization and hopefully into the W or the women's basketball community as a, you know, just to continue that staff pipeline. Um, to be able to have the first person be that to be Kiev on, <laughs> I think that's a little lucky. Um, but Um, yeah, we're just super excited to be able to have her around our franchise and, um, also excited for her to see what she wants to do next. Um, and I think for her, the sky is the limit. And I think you would agree. We, I I would, I, we were lucky enough to have her on the podcast a few weeks ago. I've covered her for a long time. Somebody who was in 13 of the 26 years in the WNBA, uh, just an, an incredible achievement. And yes, frankly, selfishly, I'm glad you hired her because it gives us a reason to continue to cover her. So I'm delighted for that as well. I um, want to talk about some of the current players as well. Um, but first, 
want to let the good people at home know about eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same way when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to My Garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So I want to frame our discussion in segment two around the biggest move, though by no means the only move of your offseason. And I want to talk about the fact that Alicia Gray, since she entered the league, and there's not... Win shares is a limited stat, right? Like all catch-all stats are. But if you look since 2017, Alicia Gray ranks 17th in win shares. She ranks just above Jewel Lloyd. She is ahead of some of the big names in this league. I, you know, N- Natasha Howard, and this is no slight on the players she is ahead of, right? Uh, you know, it's just worth noting that she has been a star level contributor since day one. And I'm not a big fan of like playing the overrated, underrated game. I'm bringing it in more as a, I don't necessarily know that people took it as, wow, the Atlanta dream just brought in a player who can be a number one option, a viable top player on a championship team. I'm wondering to what extent you saw her that way and to what extent your subsequent build is built around that principle, the idea that she is a potential number one on a championship team. Yeah. So I, um, I don't think we looked at it as far as like number one, number two. Um, I think we looked at it more to your first point of we have an opportunity to get a extremely talented player um, who may be to your point, because of the way she goes about things, underrated um but when you look at it from a pure data metric standpoint is extremely extremely efficient and also impacts the game in an exceptional amount of ways um and for whatever reason probably some valid some not doesn't get the same notoriety that some of those other players that you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, but to us, that that doesn't matter. The notoriety doesn't matter. It's who can help you win more. Um, and I think given what we went to do to go out and get her, we believe she can help us win more. Um, and we're super excited to have her. Obviously, um, had a great game the other night. Not going to put that type of pressure on her for the rest of the season, hopefully. Um, but we've been ecstatic with the player she is. And um, just as important, we had an idea of the person that she is, and she's showed that tenfold as well. Yeah, your your plan is not to go behind by nineteen points in each game. You're hoping that's oh, let's let's hope not. Let's hope not. It was dramatic. I got to give you guys that. But I, I, I've said that numerous times. For a fan, I'm sure that was great entertainment. But I don't I don't need to see a nineteen point comeback again. That, 
that is that is a very valid way to handle it. I, I and and again, like you talked about her efficiency, but it goes back to you know here you can bring in an elite defender, even if she did nothing else but this, an elite defender, at multiple positions who's shooting north of forty percent on over seven attempts per game from three. You know those two facets alone of her game are significant. But just the fact that she is a three level scorer. Are you thinking about it not just in terms of what she's able to do for you as a team, but specifically what that does for Ryan Howard and the way people are able to or not able to defend her in year two here? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's no secret that there were certain games last year where people were throwing two, three people at Ryan and yeah. we just didn't have a we didn't have the fire offensive firepower we needed to help balance everything out. And um, we wanted Alicia for Alicia, but we also wanted Alicia to make us a more well-rounded team. Um, and I think, you know, balancing the backcourt with her and Ryan um, can only help, um, as you mentioned. It, it makes sense. And obviously also Ari McDonald and the fact that you're seeing a bigger role from her. Do you see this when you guys are kind of at your best as primarily playing three guards? Do you see it more like, uh, you know, keeping her off the bench? I mean, I'm just wondering sort of how you how you envisioned it as you put it together. And obviously, Tanisha is the one who's making those calls on rotations, but wondering the way you planned it in that way. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we look at it like guards and bigs, right? And our one through three are our guards, our, our fours and fives are our bigs in many extent. And I think, you know, from a who's going to be where perspective, the balancing act is keeping enough scoring on the court for 40 minutes. And that's where Tanisha has got to mix and match certain lineups so that we're never at a point where the defense can just let up on, on certain matchups. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think, like you mentioned, we've got a variety of different ways to play. Um, and Alicia just adds another component to that. Another player who I don't necessarily think is talked about as much as she ought to be is Cheyenne Parker and just the way in which she has developed, not just ahead of coming to you guys, but since she's been here, what do you see as the biggest, uh, let's say the biggest thing that she has added to her game coming into 2023? Yeah. You know, I think Cheyenne has always been able to score the basketball. Um, but I think, you know, her low post moves around the WNBA, like they're second to none in my opinion right now. Um, her hands are unbelievable, her touch. Um, so I think she's every year added a, you know, probably a new scoring dimension to her game. I think her touch from the mid range and outside is a little bit better now, but I think her bread and butter is still just around the rim. She's one of the few that has the size, has the hands, but she's also got the feet to, to pivot around people, to stretch around people. Um, and I think there's no reason that we can't be talking about Cheyenne as an all-star. Uh, I think she's that good. Um, she's certainly that important to us. Um, and I think if you look about the post players around the league, um, she's in that top category. It's an evolution that it's fascinating. I remember doing a story about her years ago where she taught herself to shoot the three because she was playing overseas in Poland and she was just bored. And yep. she had anywhere to go. So she said, all right, I'm just going to get 500 threes a game up and yep. turn herself into that kind of player. I, I do wonder, and this is sort of a larger discussion, WNBA development for so many years has been like that, where yep. it's been piecemeal, where it's not been systematic. 
do you feel as if, and because and you get all these reports and the players talk about it in this way, that there's an Atlanta dream program where you're allowed, where you're able on a year round basis to have your players buying in to a specific way of playing. And, and do you feel like that's new for the league in some fundamental ways? Yeah, I think we've seen more and more the past few years of players staying in market um, and, and staying, you know, in the U S I think what teams are trying to do more and more is create an environment that players feel like they can get better in the off season. If they stay around, we're mm-hmm. certainly trying to do that. Um, we had both AD and Nia coffee around all off season, as well as Nas um, for a good amount of time. And we tried to make sure that, you know, our facilities were always available to them. Our player development coach was always available to them and that we worked on things from October to March that would help them get better in April. Um, and we think we're, we're seeing some real benefits from that. Um, now it's just a matter of getting more and more of them to, to be able to stay here financially, obviously. Right. And um, making sure that, you know, you can find ways to keep them in WNBA ready shape. That's the hard part, right? You can do one-on-one workouts every day. Um, but five on five is, is really where you get, you know, that run in and, and we have to kind of create that sometimes. It is interesting as far as AD goes and you, you, you mentioned them there, there's just an X factor when it comes to their game. I, I two, two questions out of AD's evolution for you guys. One is how did you, what did you see? to know that AD could come over and play as well as they did almost right away in the Atlanta system. I just, is, is my first one that I'm curious about. Yeah. So a um, couple of things. Um, when we had the number one pick in 2019, when I was in Vegas, mm-hmm. um, up until Jackie declared, we were looking really, really heavily at AD. So I was super familiar with AD's game. New York winds up taking AD in 2019 and Tanisha was on that team, played on that team. So Tanisha knew AD really well. So it wasn't a matter of ability. We knew what AD's ability was. It was more about health and do we think they can get there? Um, And um, we had a feeling that in a new environment, um, if we supported the way we could, um, there was a chance and, you know, AD came in, had a couple of g- good games and had a setback with, with their hip, um, but did a great job this off season of focusing on their health. Um, and when locked in, AD is an elite player, an elite level scorer. Um, and um, the focus for us is just having the right support around them to keep them healthy and keep them locked in. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. And that that ties into really my other question, which is, what do we think AD's ceiling is? It, it's so challenging to project because they've had, and, and for a lot of reasons that are you know, beyond their control, not your standard arc when it comes to playing. I you know, remember seeing them dominate at Louisville. You know? And so how do you project a player – where there's so many X factors coming into, into play here, you know, long COVID being one of them. Yeah. You know, that's a great question. I think you can only really take it a year, year at a time. And I think this year 
Um, our hope and goal is to keep AD healthy the majority of the year and be able to play impactful minutes. And if that happens, what's the ceiling this year? I think to say AD could be sixth player of the year, I think that's a reasonable ceiling. Um, but, um, you know, obviously um, we, we want to just have minutes on a consistent basis for all our players, AD included. Bottom line, when we talk about this team, you know, you guys made a very strong push almost uh, to the playoffs last year. Is something short of the playoffs uh, unacceptable in your mind this year? Is that kind of where your expectations start for this team? I wouldn't say unacceptable. I think that um, if we're able to stay relatively healthy Mm -hmm. um, and compete the way we want to compete every night, I think we at, at the end of the day, when September rolls around, we should be in position to make the playoffs. Um, you know, we can't handle external factors, but if we take care of what we can take care of, I think we'll position ourselves well. And then the only other question I really have is, you, you guys played on Tuesday. You don't play again until Sunday. Your next five are at home. Are WNBA schedules getting to be too cushy? Uh, that's a great question. I don't think so. I think we all have these breaks in the beginning of the season and then wish we could get some days back in July and August, but appreciate the, appreciate the, uh, comedic humor there. Enjoy, enjoy it for sure. Cause you're right. It definitely changes fast. Well, Dan Padover, always great to chat with you. Really intrigued by what you're building here. We'll continue to cover it every day. Thank you to our listeners, as always, for being part of what we do here. Thank you for reading us over at thenexthoops.com. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. Kevin Pelton's going to join Jackie Powell. The Gabby Williams saga is fascinating. Until then, I am Howard Megdahl wishing all of you a wonderful Thursday. Welcome to Wallet. You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. 